0: Hello and welcome to Today in Space. We are back for another episode and we have to talk about how we are living in a post-JWST world. James Webb Space Telescope has started to unfold the universe one image at a time. And we had the image reveal on July 12th, which was preceded by a surprise reveal of the first deep-filled infrared image that was... Uh, presented to us by POTUS, and it has it, blown my mind. I've seen all of the traffic of people, you know, paying attention to all the picture reveals, so many people putting video out there, uh, space science communicators, uh, influencers online. Like, it has captured the attention in a way that, uh, as the successor of Hubble. Uh, the James Webb Space Telescope team should be extremely proud. Um, it's already taken off, and we've learned so much already. And I'm going to go through, uh, later in this episode, we'll talk about kind of what my first thoughts are, and, and after digesting it, uh, what I'm taking away from this. But also at the same time, uh, there's so much that we have to cover. We're going to do a quick zoom through. Um, there's a great website, webtelescope.org, and, um, We'll talk about where to find the images. We'll talk about how you can get the full res images, the raw images, a um, little bit about processing if you've never done that before. That's a really cool thing that you can do to be a part of you know, spreading science and, and spreading love out there. There's definitely some reflections. We've got Dr. Z's uh, reflections. We'll, we'll touch on that as well as just keeping up like already, you know, we had the first images and. Uh, By no means am I complaining, but it's actually starting to get hard to keep up with all the James Webb Space Telescope stuff. So um, one of the questions we'll be asking is, could JWST be putting out too many images without a really easy way to find them? Um, We'll we'll touch into that, and then we've got some mailbag questions at the end of this show. So we're going to touch on those. Thank you for joining us, and let's dive in. Uh, before we start, we have to show off some 3D printing stuff because this podcast is brought to you by our 3D printing lab, AG3D, we bring ideas into reality, and we brought our own reali- our, our own ideas into reality originally with our James Webb Space Telescope Coaster, uh, which is available in our Etsy store for $12. You can pick that up and support the podcast and have something cool around the office, wherever you are. Um, it's, it's a great gift as well, uh, and it helps support us, and then we... One of our first real resin prints, we, uh, on our resin 3D printers, which we have in our basement, we have two types. We have the one that is like this, where I think most people have seen in kind of like labs at school, or, or really these are the ones that are most used in people's houses, where they use a piece of plastic filament and heat up through a nozzle and then make layer by layer. The resin 3D printing, which we've talked about before, if you want to learn more about it follow us at AG3D printing on Instagram to learn more about that. Um, but we're basically using UV light to cure a photopolymer resin layer by layer and you're pulling the object out of a vat of resin, which is pretty wild. So, <laughs> we made our own version of the James Webb Space Telescope model that was uh, the idea here is for it to still be a really cool-looking model but also to be more 3D printable. I think the biggest complaint I can have, and granted, I am again no means complaining, just offering uh, feedback. The most of the 3D models that are available by NASA actually might be too complicated. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff that they're that the 3D model library that NASA has available, uh, a lot of it is like exact models of the the spacecraft, the rockets, whatever it might be. I mean, there's a space launch, space launch complex model, which is, uh, I've tried to work through that 3D model, and there's, if you're trying to 3D print that model, good luck. Uh, the problem is, is at that scale, if you take something that big with, with this engineering that it has, you know, it's got, like, sheet metal, right? Like, it's very, very thin structures and very, very complicated structures, so when you scale that down to a size that you could actually print and hold in your hand... It, a lot of the stuff is too thin to actually be printed and it's not it, it, it it's a great thing to have but for 3d printing and, and making it yourself that model's not really there and it's something we could talk about uh, for a really long time of just this idea of a lot of people who uh, go into engineering and do 3d design CAD design a lot of the things you learn as you're in school and then going into the workforce is that there's a very big difference between... Designing anything and then designing something that can be made consistently and at a good cost. Those are two different things. There's being an artist and then there's uh, designing for manufacturing. And so this model was the first attempt at designing a James Webb Space Telescope model. That is for the actual manufacturing method. So uh, with this, obviously we had some defects, right? Some of the the SunShield sheets kind of like a little floppy and wobbly, but that's mostly because we printed it like this and it, I'm actually amazed they held together. <laughs> They're just long sheets, but when you cure it warps a little bit, especially if it's thin, the UV light can can move things around and if it's not fully supported, it kind of just does its thing as it goes in and out of the vat going up and down as the UV light cures it. So, that's a long way of saying we are going to have this model available in our Etsy store. Um, if you guys would like one for your desk, at home, for whatever, um, we're going to finish up this model and make it really crisp and clean. But this one becomes our example to showcase for the podcast, right? So I think uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. And I think we're going to make that model available uh, somewhere online. Not, not sure quite yet where, like maybe it'll be a 3D model on our Etsy store, but really excited about sharing that. And if uh, anyone at NASA does want to put the model up, on the NASA website, that's definitely something I would I would consider doing because I think that's a proper model. It's based off of, for the most part, the um, the actual blueprint for the design. I pulled up a few of those and used the side view and the top view. It's not exactly correct, but it's something that's gonna bring inspiration and and for schools, right? Especially being able to have that model to download to. Um, print and then showcase and do what we do here right like this model is going to help us explain the science the same thing had happened in schools and, and other places where you're in and, and even at home right so uh that was a lot of fun it, it was a really cool experience to dive into we we got our james Webb space telescope model done in time on a new technology that i'm still very very green on uh, but we were able to get, we were able to learn enough things that made us successful, and we painted it, and it was great. We we did a time lapse. We'll put it up here, but um, the, you know the artistic process and just the ability to be so creative on the show is really a blessing, and I'm really really happy that I get to share this stuff with you and that I get to do this. Right, like as as nervous as I might get before every time we record this podcast or whatever, doing these kinds of things and then experiencing it with you as well is like. Uh, Awesome. So I love doing this. It's, it's, we're going to keep doing a lot of this stuff. But this episode, there was a lot behind it. Uh, I had to literally stop watching some of the James West Space Telescope feeds. I had to stay off of social media for a little bit because there was just so many people expressing different things. And at a certain point, you know, I, especially with the show, uh, you know, I edit these myself. So by the time this episode's done, I've probably listened to it. Uh, three or four times so it, it almost becomes like I, I in my mind everyone's heard it before so what I wanted to do was step away from it a little bit so I could come at this with a little bit of energy and not miss anything or feel like oh you already know this because this episode is for people that may have seen it may have uh, wanted to learn more about it but they're they're maybe waiting for this episode or it's years from now, and you're going back to it to try and catch it, uh, even months from now. It is going to be such a different world from where we were from July 12th to today. Um, and I wanted to make sure that I processed enough, gathered a bunch of stuff. I think one of the things I'm good at is researching uh, for the podcast here. And so I took my time, research, and that's what we're going to get into. Uh, so the first images we saw from James Webb Space Telescope are some of the most detailed, no, they, they are the most detailed pictures that we've gotten from space i can't think of anything else that's higher quality and data intensive with so many scientific instruments that can relay so much data for the unseen right the beautiful thing about an infrared telescope is it helps us look as far back into the origin of the uh, origins of the universe as possible it's one of the technologies the oldest light uh, the earliest galaxy formations and black hole formations were going to be able to look back at to a point just after the Big Bang, when the first things were starting to evolve, when mass was was starting to accumulate and light was developing. So there is a lot here. And the first deep-filled image from James Webb Space Telescope is mind-blowing, to say the least. But before we do that, all right, folks, so we're talking about James Webb Space Telescope today and a lot about the the unseen universe that's before us. And one thing, as a guy that you don't want to happen, is to get abducted by aliens and not be groomed. You are humanity's example of (laughs) the, the male form, so you need to make sure that you're ready for abduction any day. The only way to do that is to use code SPACE at manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping worldwide. Wherever you get abducted across the planet, uh, you can be ready uh, for that moment. (laughs) Just like the golden record on Voyager, right? We need good representation here, folks. So, guys, make sure you got the right tools for your family jewels. Go to manscaped.com. There's the Performance Pro Package. Uh, there's a- anything on the store you can get 20% off with free shipping. So, um, you know, Manscaped opera- offers precision-engineered tools for your family, jewels. The We've got them right here. Here's the Lawn Mower 4.0. That LED light points exactly where you need it, you know, even if you're, if, you know, in the middle of right before you're, you're getting pulled up by that UFO. <laughs> you could do a quick, a quick Manscaped while you're there. And not have to worry about it. The weed whacker for your ear and, ha- and nose hairs. It's the right tools for you to groom and have that part of your, you know, regular part of your wellness, right? Taking care of yourself. For me, it's, it's great to be able to go in there, not only groom, which is a part of just life and taking care of yourself, but it's easy cleanup, right? We talked about this last week. They give you the, those sheets of newspaper that you can put down, catch all the hair, dump it into the trash, and your cleanup's done. I think that's one of the biggest things that I definitely struggle with and I think stops pe- guys from from trimming up. So manscaped.com, code word space, 20% off. Use that code, help support the podcast, and get free shipping on this uh, when everything is just costing way too much money. So again, 20% off, manscaped.com, code word space. Make sure that you're representing humanity well when you get abducted by aliens, okay? That's it. <laughs> Back to the show. Uh, there's a few things that I want to point out. A lot of people were asking, like, what am I seeing? What what is what are in these images? And we had a plethora of things that James Webb Space Telescope was able to, to show us, and I think there's really two... Major groups here, right? Or three, I should say. The first is that what James Webb Space Telescope allows us to do is see the unseen universe, right? I love the hashtag that James Webb Space Telescope has: "Unfold the Universe." That's literally what they're doing, and and that's one of the main feelings I had about this first set of images is that there is so much out there in the infinite abyss of the universe, right? Uh, and I've tried to express this before, and I think maybe I'm talking to too many people who are, <laughs> who know science and space at a really fundamental level. There, there seem to be this consensus or like this almost intellectual pitfall that, and this happens a lot with the alien conversation and UFOs and things like that. That I think, James Webb Space Telescope has changed the narrative from. You know, space is an empty void. You know, it's, there's nothing out there. We're, we're all alone to... There is so much out there at such a scale that's so hard to define. And even things that Hubble and other telescopes have been looking at for years, it's exposing so much of the stuff we didn't even see that was there. And when you take that eye and look at the universe with that, it is a really, really wild thing to think about our place in the universe and how expansive and to think that it's constant, it's continuing to expand as we speak and developing. And a lot of the things that we see, and this is a good segue here, there are things to look for when you look at a James Webb Space Telescope image, Uh, especially for the deep field image, it's very pronounced here. But even on the Carina uh, Nebula and uh, others, whenever you see that six-pointed uh, light that's in any of these images, that's actually a star. And the reason is, is there's a, a refraction that's going on with the alignment of the 18 gold panels, right? So the way that these panels work is each of these primary mirrors deflect light into the secondary mirror, which pushes it into all the instruments and the observations. And what that allows us to do is take each one and then refine, and we we showed this on the animations for the James Webb Space Telescope before it actually when it was doing its instrument commissioning. So you can look back at that episode. We'll, we'll try and add a link here. So you guys can check that out to learn more. But it, it, it is, you're seeing, it, basically if you took that star and you overlapped the uh, hexagon of James Webb space telescope, you're going to see those refraction lines. So that is an indicator that you're looking at a star versus a galaxy, which is a lot of, especially the deep field image, uh, those non-streaky uh, points of light or smudges of light are entire galaxies. And when you put that into perspective, when really, when we look up a lot of what we believe we're looking at are stars, when you look at this and that galaxies are, there's so many of them out there. And in this first deep field image, we also get to see the second group of what James Webb Space Telescope does, which is it is the ultimate time machine, time viewing machine, really, because it's not like we can send ourselves back there. But just like all things astronomy-based and light that we're looking at and absorbing and and trying to take in from the universe, it's light that has traveled here. And at the scale of the universe, that takes time. And so a lot of these things that are in these images, I mean, so right here, uh, the first... James Webb Space Telescope image uh, that was revealed by the president. Um, this is a patch of sky. approximately. You've probably heard this, but again, this is why I moved away from social media, because I wouldn't say this, because in my mind, too many people have said it. But it's a great example. This image, this deep field image, and I'm going to start recording here on my iPad, uh, which we are using... Our rocket ship phone stand, which is available on our Etsy store, ag3dprinting.etsy.com, shameless plug. Um, We've got our iPad right here. If we look at that image, if you zoom in, you can see this gravitational lensing that's going on. And so not only are telescopes these time-viewing machines, and, and James Webb Space Telescope allows us to see further back into the history of the big bang the light that's still coming at us from that original original time right afterwards what we are able to do is crazy but this first image this gravitational lensing so you, you, it looks like there's some smudges of light that is a supercluster at the center of galaxies. And there's so much mass in that galactic supercluster that it's warping space and time around it. This is something we know that it does. Einstein's general relativity was proofing out when they looked at the lunar eclipse and they were able to see a star. They knew the original position of the star and as the star got closer to the edge of the moon, you could see that the position changed and that change of position proved out that space and time warps. So when you have enough mass, this happens. And this galactic supercluster has so much mass that it's warping the light like a sphere around it. And those smudges are distant galaxies behind that galactic supercluster that we can't see because that cluster of galaxies in the way the light is bending around that supercluster and we're actually able to piggyback off of this gravitational lensing to look even further back in time which is crazy to think because this as i started to say earlier <laughs> god i uh this this stuff just drives me crazy. It's it's so wild to think about. Alright, I've I've got my handle here again. Okay. This entire image is approximately the size of a grain of sand held at arm's length by someone on the ground. So if you look up, hold a piece of sand, you look up, that's the patch of sky that we're looking at. And it reveals thousands of galaxies in our vast universe. And so, if you think about that and you spread it out over every direction on the other side of the planet, if you're able to be on every part of the planet and look up at the sky at the same time and get the full scale, it would be filled with stuff. And the fact that we can use general relativity and the warping of space and time to peer around and find these little, uh, you know, gravitational spheres of of basically another telescope, we can see things that aren't even possible with the technology we have today by using just physics, right? So the deep field image really blows my mind because if you go in and you zoom around, and what I would highly recommend, we're jumping around here, but there's a lot, <laughs> and I want this to be a condensed episode that you can chew through. So if you want to go through these web, Im- web images and... Zoom into them. There's a, there's a website called webtelescope.org where you can go there and if you go to the first images in the first images gallery, it actually has a place where you can zoom in and go look through. So we're going to do that with the deep field zoom. Maximize this. So if we go in, you can see our stars, right? We now know We got those little spikes. All right, those are our stars. Go into that galactic supercluster and look around. So this, right, smud, right here, is a galaxy behind that supercluster. If you look around, I mean, there's just so much out there. You know, I follow a few people online who are astronomers and they you know deep sky dudes one person who comes to mind shout out to him if you don't follow him please do even when he was going through this supercluster image even he was saying there's stuff in there that w- he wasn't even sure of and it's really cool the only the only downside and I guess we'll we'll jump into this the only downside with that and the fact that we have all this data to go through with each image and the release schedule that they're trying to do in the limited time that they have with James Webb Space Telescope. I am concerned that there's too many websites for James Webb Space Telescope. There's no central location, especially in this day and age where we're not sure what information is true. You may just pick up on a headline, um, there's no central location for you to know, like the source of truth for James Webb Space Telescope. You know, if you Google that right now, there's a lot of different places it's going to take you to. And I've definitely been seeing that there's a, it seems like there's a certain, there's the NASA specific website, and then there's the web telescope.org page. And I would definitely, definitely, if anyone from NASA is listening from that team, finding a way to more easily direct people to the source of truth from the, you know, we we have this with a lot of the spacecraft, you know, Juno, uh, Cassini, Hubble. There's a location to go to for you to find those images. And it would be really, really good, especially for the, the real spread of this information for people to learn and also to know where to find the real thing. That needs to be a lot easier. And I don't know what the case might be. It could very easily be that because this project is, is multiple different agencies, right? So we've got uh, NASA, we've got James Webb Space Telescope. Uh, I'm sorry, we've got NASA, we've got the Canadian Space Agency, and we've got the European Space Agency. And that's just like the, the major three groups. And there's so many different people working on this project. Um, I, and it's been so long that I think the speed that they're trying to release these images at might be too fast. I, I really do, uh, especially if there's no real easy way to find the original image and also what they're doing, which I like, which is organizing the images in a nice way to experience them. I think that's a separate thing from the source of truth, and I think the source of truth is built by somebody who's very smart, but uh, that, that's, the, the, that's what I would guess from it, but the procedure – the ability for the average civilian to actually access that um, is too difficult. So it would be nice to find a balance with that. But at the very least, I'm going to try and find that website, find that feed, because I didn't have enough time to do it before this. We're going to find that so that way I can show you guys how to do that if you're interested. Um, and the other thing is image processing. You know, I did this for Juno and Cassini and uh, some of the other spacecraft that have traveled the – the solar system, and you can do this too. If you go to these websites and find the original images, if you take those images and process them, maybe change the contrast, pull out features by adjusting the, you know, whatever looks good to you to try and adjust the colors from the raw image or whatever it might be to pull something out, you can put a credit at the bottom of that image that credits the original people and then you put yourself there as the person who is now processed that image and it becomes your process version of the image. And you can actually, in some cases submit them to those teams and they'll be available to go up. And who knows, maybe there's uh, you know, someone online who shares pictures from, I, I've got this picture from Juno that I pro, pro, uh, processed of Jupiter that every so often gets shared again online and it's cool to see come back up. So If that's something you're interested in and you like to play around with, you could do that today. Uh, That's something that's available to you. And the fact that these images are free for everybody uh, to access and to use, uh, as long as you credit people, right? That's the right thing to do. (laughs) Uh, You can have a lot of fun and reach and share your love of that picture and what you've done of that experience of that capture of that thing in space. And James Webb Space Telescope's got a lot there. So um, I think this is a good time to go through some of the reflections here. Let's break this up and go to... So reflections from Dr. Z. So Dr. Thomas Zabruchin, um I apologize if I just brutalized your name. Uh, he sent out a tweet on July 19th, and this is Stefan's Quartet, which is the image from It's a Wonderful Life. This is the image. <laughs> I, I had no idea, but as soon as that uh, came up in the, the NASA article for the first image reveal, I was like, oh my God, that, that is what that is. But Dr. Z here has this picture there on a tweet, and he says, there are a few times in history when we humans look at nature in an, in an entirely new way, and NASA Webb has already begun to write the next chapter in our cosmic story with its new images. Read more as I reflect on this monumental achievement in my latest blog, so you can go there. We'll have that link in this week's podcast. But just to take a quick glimpse of it, because obviously I would like you to go read this, um, but I'll, I'll do these two paragraphs towards the end here. As humans, we are intimately connected to these images. As I write this post, I... Look down at the gold and platinum rings on my hand and remember that these elements were likely created from merged neutron stars. Leftovers of stellar evolution. On my hand. Stellar processes and explosions of various kinds create the very elements we are made of as humans. We are made of stardust. With Webb, we're going to peer through cosmic dust and see stars forming and dying in stellar explosions that eject material that seed new stars to be born. A violent cycle, but one that is essential. We had seen this before with Hubble, that these star-forming regions are stunning and provide us with enormous amounts of learning. Now, with Webb, we are looking at these stellar nurseries in new detail that will reshape how we understand the evolution of galaxies. I'll leave it there because, again, I, I want you to go check this out. But a really, really amazing time. And and the other thing, as I've been talking to people about the images and especially the new stuff, we, we just peered back at uh, the oldest galaxy we've ever seen. So far away, in fact, that even GWST has a hard time getting features of it (laughs) which is which is crazy but uh we're talking about as close to the the big bang as we've ever seen to to understand how these early galaxies because again we're, we're seeing time too as well right like our position here versus the position of the point of light that we're seeing the time difference between those two is the distance, the, the amount of time it took light to travel. So when, when we talk about 350 million years ago, right? What's happening there has already changed. And what they would see of us would be in our past that same distance because that's how long that light would take to get to them. So what we're seeing is the past whenever we look out into space, which is a really, really crazy thing to think about. Uh, you know, even locally, right? Uh, there's there's that thing where, uh, you know, if the, let me look this up just to get the right time. So if the sun exploded, how long? I think it's like eight minutes. Take for like seven minutes. So even the distance from our sun to earth, if it went out like that, it would take as they've, done some of the math here i'm seeing 8.3 minutes i'm seeing seven minutes but even our own sun that we see every day what we're seeing of the sun is actually from the past because that light is finally reaching us which is a a wild concept and this technology this space technology of james Woods space telescope that cost billions of dollars and many many years to make happen and you know, Greg Robinson, who just um, is retiring after the success of bringing James Webb Space Telescope finally back up online, um, which, big congratulations to to him, and it's a big, as I was saying on Twitter, it's a big loss in the leadership of NASA, but he's left such a legacy behind and, and, and taught so many people and teams that he's leaving, he's leaving behind a great legacy. But this space technology is so good, and we're getting so much data from it that it's actually hard to process it all even as someone who like myself likes to to dive into this stuff and even the engineers and the scientists that are working on this i i wonder if we're reaching a point with this type of tech that uh there might be too much science to really get it out quickly and fully analyze it (laughs) like how many things are we going to get wrong or that uh people might be exploring those are all things we'll figure out in time but it is uh it's a wild thing that's going on here with uh (laughs) James Webb Space Telescope uh the other thing that the third category of things at least for right now that James Webb Space Telescope is helping us with is uh, as an exoplanet hunter you know we've been able to look after uh different exoplanet worlds and we've we've got a few out there that are doing a great job i mean we've our catalog of exoplanets we have a catalog of exoplanets right and this is in the last 10 years really that it's exploded i I may be off on the timing a little bit but it's very recent but some of the stuff especially the trappist one system which i think a lot of people are aware um there's obviously some hope that we may find uh, uh alien life in this place or just anywhere we look in the universe right but regardless, TRAPPIST-1 is a very interesting uh, planetary system with a smaller uh, star and uh, I believe it's a dwarf star and the planets are tidally locked. We know that much about it. But to be able to peer with James Webb Space Telescope, we're going to be able to get the, uh, an incredible spectra of the atmosphere at the high quality that we have here. So we'll be able to peer at these exoplanets and, and know so much more about them, about what is in their atmosphere. And then from there, once we see the light pass through the atmosphere, right, because that's the other condition, is if we're going to look at an exoplanet, it has to pass in front of a sun uh, between us. And if it doesn't do that, if let's say it's in a, uh, a different plane, it, we don't have as much opportunity to to analyze and to to dive into what these exoplanets have on them. uh, There's probably so many that we can't even observe because we don't even know they're there, right? Um, There's that Planet 9, Planet X example where, you know, if there's some planet that gets ejected from its star system and is floating by itself and it's not giving off any heat, we wouldn't be able to see it if there's no star or there's nothing as we're looking at it, going behind it so that we see it pass in front of light, there's, uh, as far as astrophysics is concerned, uh, this tool is really going to blow things away. And if, for some reason, you are uh, into astronomy and you'd like to observe something and you're that detailed and you know the settings, especially for people who uh, use their telescope all the time, you can actually submit for observational time on James Webb Space Telescope, that is something that is available to you. So if you are, um, man, there's there's so many different ways to unpack it. But whether it's you know space weather, exoplanets, um, any kind of astrophysics or star chasing that you're looking to do, if you're able to submit all the settings and uh, everything that you can go into it, right? Even just if you want to poke around at what it means to request an observation that is available right now to u.s citizens which is a wild wild thing um but let's continue because we're at 35 minutes already and we still have to go through the mailbag so uh what did the first images mean to me i think uh that's a that is a an interesting question so the first thing i was blown away i think it broke my brain the first two days (laughs) I really do. I. It's so hard to, to conceptualize the scale of, of what we're taking in. And, again, the fact that there's so much. And, and seeing the world of the unseen, right? Uh, some, some of the things that we have observed before on, say, Hubble, and there's been a lot of great examples of this, of people putting up comparison images um, like the Southern Ring Nebula, right? Like we've looked at the Southern Ring Nebula before. It's not anything new. Actually, all these images are, and I think they did it on purpose, comparable to other observations that we've made. The amount of data that's in this Southern Ring Nebula image is really crazy. Like how much dust is being ejected from that, that star, right? From this nursery that's going to create new elements and matter and well, not new matter, but new, new elements and expand. Like these things are happening all the time. Stars are exploding and gases and dust and elements are combining at super pressure and speeds and temperatures. Uh, This stuff is happening all the time while we're concerned about, you know, tedious things and it makes it makes you wonder about uh, how much we're desensitized to the world outside and how much light pollution keeps us in a bubble Um, i think we've learned a lot about bubbles and you know even even bubbles of thought right uh and and if you're going to really learn and expand your your understanding of things you need to be able to get out of that and wow, uh, just looking at this image, I mean, zooming in, there's, it's its hard. <laughs> so that's 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 where I've gotten to, honestly, a few times in the past few weeks, looking through these James Webb Space Telescopes is having, not having the words. So I, I think it's going to show us things that maybe were conventionally, untrue or conventionally held but now are just are gonna fall off the back like i think something like the drake equation right when you think about the drake equation and the assumptions that it makes and you look at images like this at things we've already have seen and already made decisions about and you see something in the infrared and what it can pull out out of what we thought was basically nothingness, it's it's crazy. <laughs> I think I've I think I've droned on enough about the the uh, the incredible unseen world that James Webb Space Telescope is unfolding. What we're gonna do right now is go into the mailbag. All right, so these questions come from George. George, thank you so much for giving us these questions. Let's let's go through them. So number one, it's an opinion question. James Webb has been up for a while now. Why were the pictures classified? Do you think this could hinder or delay scientific advancement in general going forward? Or do you think it's a capability problem in regards to processing data for some reason? And I did follow up to see uh, what he what he meant by uh, classified. But he was really talking about the the security clearance necessary for someone like Dr. Z, someone leading the James Webb Space Telescope team. So there's an article from Scientific American and Business Insider about the top secret clearance needed for leading a project like James Webb Space Telescope. Um, I will say that having this type of like security clearance is not uh, unheard of, especially for big projects. Um, Now, whether or not it's just James Webb Space Telescope specifically that has security clearance needs, I'm not too sure. I I don't know, to be honest. But I will say, in aerospace, especially in space industry, um, first of all, there's an ITAR restriction, right? Um, Which, if you've never heard of that, uh, essentially, it's keeping... uh, Secrets, uh, you know, keeping American secrets, whether it's guns or things like rockets or uh, anything that could reveal confidential information about the nature of what we do here in the U.S. This is part of the reason why, uh, at a place like NASA and SpaceX and anywhere in the U.S. that has uh, rocket launches, there are designated areas that uh, if you're not a U.S. citizen, you're not allowed into. So that's one of the things that prevents people from other countries, not from the U.S., from working in in places like SpaceX and NASA. Uh, part of that is because of that just simple ITAR restriction. That's not even getting into the secret clearance that we're talking about here. So my guess is that secret clearance that they're talking about is being picked up on because there's some you know, intrigue with JWST, with aliens and research like that. I don't think it has anything to do. I don't think clearance has anything to do about aliens, more that there are things involved with the technology that's on board James Webb Space Telescope that relates to something. So being the leader of the project, it's going to be a lot easier for you to work with all the organizations that are involved if you have that clearance to have that conversation. So I think the clearance aspect is more tied to the fact that there's some high-level technology here that is a uh, secret of the U.S. uh, that we don't want other countries finding out for security reasons. That would be my guess. But again, I don't know, and I don't have that clearance. So (laughs) I couldn't tell you what it is. All right, next up, question number two. Based off some cursory readings, I've read that thanks to a successful and precise launch, NASA announced that the James Webb Space Telescope should have enough fuel to more than double its minimum mission life expectancy of 10 years. How does this work? Is it based off of objects surrounding for frigate pull, or is there something completely different? Love this question. So part of the Ariane 5 rocket that launched James Webb Space Telescope to Lagrange point 2, which is this orbit that it takes. So if you have the Sun, Earth, and then James Webb Space Telescope, that's where it resides. And James Webb Space Telescope is doing a circular orbit at L2, Lagrange point 2, which is this point in space where the gravitational forces uh, even out. So... The pull from Earth and the pull from the sun are evening out on this backside so that James Woods Space Telescope can hang out there and not use a lot of fuel while it's hiding behind the sun, right? Sorry, I guess it would be more like this. <laughs> because you want the sun shield to make it as dark as and cold as possible for the instruments to gather sunlight, right? So when it's doing its orbit, it's doing this kind of like sinusoidal run, as it goes over. And so the fuel that it needs is to keep it rotating and going in that orbit around. So the good thing is because we're at this balance of gravity, that point is like balancing a marble on the top of like a hill, right? So the fuel that's needed is to keep it there. They had estimated that the extra moves it would have to make to get to that point We're going to take more fuel, but the rocket sent it in such a great, like, it's like being a great, uh, I'm trying to think, someone that shoots a bow and arrow, Bowman, uh, it's it's like shooting a bow and arrow perfectly down the bullseye instead of a little bit outside and and all this, and the, the path of that rocket, the energy it put behind JWST to get there meant that it could save all that stuff it was going to use to get into position to keep its orbit moving. So that is why it was able to, to add, you know, potentially double, I haven't seen that specifically. So I'd love an article as a reference, we can add that here, George, if you you got it. But that's the reason why we've extended the mission lifetime, because as things are in space, you only get the fuel that you take with you. So they budget a certain amount of fuel. And of course, they overestimate to make sure they can keep it up. They estimate it for 10 years. Now that 10 years of fuel, they've got so much more left at a point where they've already got it unfolded and out there. So that's how they have more fuel. Great question. I appreciate that. Number three, how does Hubble Space Telescope play a factor going forward? Or is it simply a relic of the past? How much did Hubble play a factor in getting to uh, where James Webb Space Telescope has already gotten to? It's another great question. So Hubble is is not necessarily a relic of the past, and and Hubble and James Webb Space Telescope are very different, right? Um, we've what I would highly suggest we've got uh, we were able to jump on some Twitter Spaces with the James Webb Space Telescope team before. The images. So we were able to ask questions uh, among uh, many other people, but I was lucky in two instances that I had the free time, I was able to ask a question live. So I recorded both of those. I would, I would recommend going back to those clips and watching those, and we'll have those here for you to reference. But to talk about the first one, some of the major things is that with all the incredible detail <coughs> that JWST is getting us, the amount of viewing space that Hubble has in our own visible light, you're getting images that really showcase an enhanced version of what we can see that's out there. And it's a much larger swath of space that you're looking at, right, with Hubble. Those are two main things that are different. Now, the quality of Hubble is not going to match the quality of JWST, because you also have 20 years of technology in difference. So all the things that got from Hubble, uh, we've got so much more that's, I mean, they're, they're running basically a, an LTE network to send the data from JWST to Earth uh, because it's that much data. And that's another big factor between Hubble and JWST. The amount of data in each viewing path that JWST has is way more but that also comes with a smaller viewing of the sky. Now, the infrared, red lights specifically, there are some really incredible sensors that have never really been on anything else that JWST has on board. Um, but with that comes a limitation of the, the choices they made in the design. It limits the amount of viewing space that we have. So I would say Hubble, as long as it's able to stay in, in orbit is going to be huge. The other big thing too is Hubble is uh, in basically orbit around earth. So it actually interferes with the atmosphere a little bit. And JWST is far out uh, at Lagrange point two. And at that point it has complete darkness. The temperature is really cold, which means the instruments, the cryogenic instruments are going to be able to perform Hubble's always fighting itself to, to get good pictures. And that's just the nature of where it is in space. Now, that's better than having something on Earth looking out, right, because you've got to go through that whole atmosphere. Hubble's better, but the position of James Webb is so much better. The challenge with James Webb Space Telescope is if something happens out there, you can't fix it. With Hubble, you know, Hubble had that issue where the mirrors were misaligned when it was first up there we were able to send a space shuttle to Hubble to work on it physically. So um, as long as Hubble is able to keep its electronics and whatever fuel it needs in place and in orbit, uh, Hubble will continue to operate. Uh, Of course, unless they decide to cut mission funding to keep that thing going. Uh, JWST has a shorter lifetime, but is able to do so much more in the tinier viewing screen that it does have. So they're definitely going to have to be good about planning out who gets to see what and and how much we extract out of those extra 10 years that we talked about before. So number four, could you explain Thomas Zubuchin, NASA's associate administrator for the science mission directorate statement on the picture below? As Webb aligns and focuses over the next few months, these 18 dots will slowly become a single star. And George is saying, why not just show the full star at once with these pictures? Does it have to do with how the telescope was designed, or is it something else? We touched on this a little bit, but there are 18 panels of the primary mirrors. So on each of these, those dots that you're seeing, each one is going to get a dot. And then those images from those 18... are going to reflect off the secondary mirror into the devices on James Webb. So when they're getting those images, this reflection is reflecting here. So you're getting those 18, and then what Webb has to do is they have to focus all of them in to a single point. Now what this does, as opposed to a single mirror, right? A single mirror, you just get that one view of whatever your light you're taking in. If you have 18 of these and you're able to dial them in, you're almost getting... Uh, the animations of this are crazy and I'll, I'll attach this link and we'll add this video real quick, time-lapse of how it what they did to dial that in. Uh, you're getting so much more of one point of light. You're getting these 18 different minor adjustments and you're getting a fuller piece of data of that piece of light. So that alignment that he's talking about those 18 dots are becoming a single star. Now why they showed it is a good, good question to ask. Uh, it's definitely not something that I, I think this is like a, they're trying to explain the science behind how James Webb space telescope works. So I think in the context of what Dr. Z is bringing up here, it's the reason that they're showing the 18 is that they wanted to, promote James Webb Space Telescope. They wanted to show people what's involved in the process. And I think that's why that picture came out and not just the full star. Because I guess you could also argue what's so interesting about just one star. And they were also engineering images, right? Those were uh, dialing in, calibrating James Webb Space Telescope. So you're kind of getting a glimpse into what the engineers have to do to get from an observation to basically where we get these images that just came out right you know each of these mirrors are uh, adjustable their angles can change to reflect the light and focus so the cool thing is that with these 18 primary mirrors you can refine for distance for exposure like there's a lot you can do and since all of those mirrors are changeable you've got that there's also the advantage that these 18 the You have they kind of plan for the fact that uh, if some micrometeoroid hits one of these panels, that means they've got 17 more, right? So there's kind of like a slush of damage soak that this telescope can take that if it was one giant mirror, you get a crack in it and the whole thing's ruined. So there's also a redundancy to those mirrors that's kind of important too. And the final question... From George, again, thank you for sending in your questions. You can send in your questions anytime at todayinspacepodcast at gmail.com or DMing us at todayinspace on TikTok, todayinspacepod on Instagram or Twitter, and, of course, our Twitter page at uh, E L 3 co and our Today in Space podcast uh, page on Facebook. Final question. Fun question. What are the expectations going forward, After such an exciting initial start, what do you hope that they find or uncover? Well, thank you for the question. Uh, The first question that you have, what are the expectations going forward after such an an exciting initial start? Uh, I kind of touched on it in this episode. I think there's going to be releases. I think there's certain things that people are really excited uh, to observe and things that, you know, James' Space Telescope has been planned for 20 years of people expecting it to launch and what we could watch oh it's going to launch next year so there's a lot of things especially with the Hubble stuff things that we've seen that we want to relook at Uh, but I think the amount of data and pictures that they're going to be able to send back and forth again they have that LTE network they're able to send data uh, back and forth so they're able to do these observations kind of quickly and then turn them around to release them, I am concerned without a real source of where to find them and that process being easy for people who are not just the experts or the hardcore fans, but also the reporters and the, uh, you know, people who are just fascinated by space and want to take a look at what's out there. I think that is... I'm confused about the expectations of that going forward because we've already, I mean, we've already seen uh infrared image of Jupiter. We've seen the oldest galaxy we've ever seen. Like, And there's also some others that came out. There's so much that's already come out that even I've missed that I, I hope they have a regular cadence or like a regular check-in with folks to be like, hey, here's this batch of images from August. Or something like that, right? August for JWST, something like that that could be released continuously is tailored to a message that is not super technical, but explains the complexity of the situation, right? And the beauty of what we're seeing in James Webb. That's my expectation going forward of what we should expect from NASA, uh, and especially if you know, it would be a shame to get all this data and then it gets kind of shoved under the rug because there's no room for it in our daily lives, right? Or it's not easy enough to get, so then we just don't see it. So that is expectations going forward. And what do I hope that they uncover? I hope we find things that shatter what the old expectations were of space travel and what's out there to inspire us to marvel in the amazingness of our universe that it exists that we exist that we exist in a plane that's constantly expanding right uh i think i am looking forward to what happens with the trappist one system i think it's a really interesting place to look and who knows what we might find on these different exoplanets what types of things in their atmospheres they might find like the the exoplanet that we took a look at here with james webb that was a that showed signs of water in that atmosphere that type of thing is 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 like to to find water in many places would be a shocking revelation and and to have data behind that right would be really impressive To find different things that we've looked at, signs for life, um, I think would be incredible. But also things that pass by. You know, we had a muamua that passed through. Um, We didn't really have anything ready to look at that and observe it as it passed the sun. You know, came from another galaxy into our orbital plane of the Milky Way and went right back out at crazy speeds and... Uh, Not unlike any other object that would come from another interstellar object, but it was extremely unique in that it gained speed uh, that would be attributed to some kind of uh, emission or uh, engine, right? We talked with Avi Loeb about this on our podcast. You can listen to that episode to get more into uh, what he's excited to see. But I know uh, they are going to be very excited. That team's going to be very excited to look at the Trappist-1 system And see what's out there. See what's available. And get insane amounts of data about that. Um, I'm excited for those types of things that are going to reshape how we look at it. I mean, I've already... I, I, I am hoping that it helps us take another look at what's out there. The infinite universe that we have in front of us. And see it less as... There's so much empty space and more there's so much out there for us to find. I think that is uh, something that will be really good for the advancement of science and humanity and how we look at each other, right? If if we're on the same planet, under the same roof, right, of the atmosphere, and we can't figure out ways to be better humans with each other, then the only way is to break Think outside the box, literally, uh, and see the world and the universe in a totally different way and have, a, have be humble about our place in it and the uh, amazing amount of creation that's out there. That The universe has just exploded and continued to expand over eons, and we are here. <laughs> I'm talking to you on some piece of technology made by a bunch of emotional apes that we're now just at this place where um, we can even fathom our place in the universe. That's my answer. (laughs) So thank you for the questions. Again, if you have any other questions, please send them in. But George, thank you for those. I really appreciate you taking the time to to share your questions and and your your links to stuff too. Um, But that's it, folks. That's this episode. Please, if if you have any thoughts or if this stirred a new idea in your head or things that you would be excited about, for James Webb Space Telescope, please let us know. Reach out to us, Today in Space on TikTok, Today in Space pod on Instagram and Twitter. And, of course, our Facebook page, Today in Space podcast. Email us at at gmail.com. Support us through AG3D. AG3D printing is our uh, 3D printing lab. We have our James Webb Space Telescope coaster available now for $12 on our Etsy store, ag3dprinting.etsy.com. Uh, we will eventually have our James Woods Space Telescope model available for all your desks at work and at home. And, of course, Manscaped, the right tools for your family jewels, 20% off using code SPACE and free shipping worldwide. All of these things are here to provide value to you and help uh, support the podcast. We're building this slowly as we have been over the years, and it's really cool to be at this point where we can not only talk about it regularly with y'all, but also we're at this crazy point 10 years in after the space industry was in such a stuck uh, point, calcified place where it just couldn't progress as much as it might try. Now we're in this start of this progress in space technology and James Webb is part of that legacy to continue. So... Be good to each other. Spread love and spread science. Love long and prosper. And don't forget to be good to yourself and others. So have a good one. We'll see you on the next episode of Today in Space. See ya.